The sermon this morning is from Romans chapter 5. The text will say 3 to 5. Those are the verses we're going to spend our time on. Uh, But on the screen we have verses 1 through 8. It's part of a whole. um, And it's, it's been this unfolding message of the apostle. But here's what's amazing as you think about it for Easter Sunday. Uh, The author of the book of Romans was a persecutor of the church. And so uh, in Sunday school this morning, Scott talked about the resurrection and and really what it did and why can we trust in the resurrection? Not just why is it important, but why can we trust? And he made this one point that I I just want to reiterate, uh, and it is the lives of those who were there. So you have the 11 disciples that are left. When Christ is killed, when he's put in the tomb, they scatter. They're afraid. They're hiding. Uh, When Christ appears to them, they become different men. In fact, what happens when uh, Peter uh, is is brought to trial, uh, they say there's something about this man. What has happened to him? And they take note that he had been with Jesus. And so it's interesting that we read in Romans uh, a letter written about the gospel uh, by one who killed Christians and then was converted. So uh, Romans 5, 3 to 5, it's this uh, third section of Romans. It starts with a, uh, a condemnation of all humanity. It starts with the wrath of God being poured out. And if you were here Friday night as we celebrate Tenebrae, the service of darkness, we, we grasp a bit the understanding of what the wrath of God being poured out. We see it in the cross. We see what God thinks of sin and what is required to have it removed. So it's important for us to grasp that because sometimes we don't see ourselves as big sinners and we wonder about all of this and we compare ourselves to other people. Um, but for the apostle and for us as Christians, it is an amazing thing that Jesus would take upon himself what our sins deserve. And so the apostle starts with that in the first few chapters, explains that everybody was out excuse. And then in chapter 3, he brings this glorious revelation that says, but the righteousness of God, uh, the, the fullness, the completeness, the goodness, the beauty of God, that righteousness of God, he says, has been manifested. It's been shown to us in the person of Jesus. What we've seen And all the apostles attest to this. We've seen him. We've touched him. We've heard him. We were there when the voice spoke from heaven. We were there when he was raised from the dead. The apostle, he's been manifest. We have seen him. But then he goes on and explains that that righteousness can be ours. So he closes that section in in chapter 3. He says, The righteousness of God has been manifested, but it is the righteousness of God through faith for all who believe. There is no distinction For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We we looked at the words of Christ from the cross on Friday night. His his last two uh, of the seven words that he said was, It is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. His work was finished. And his spirit had been committed to the Father. And this section, Romans 5, 1, he says, therefore having been justified by faith. That's where we will pick up this morning. If you're able, stand for the reading of God's word. 
Romans 1, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. When I was 15, I got to spend a summer with my favorite uncle. Some of y'all have met my uncle Hank. Um, He was... He's the best uncle. My other uncle's dead, so he'll never hear this. So. Uncle Hank. I got to spend a summer with him at age 15 in Mississippi. And I, I'm a Mississippi boy. I love the woods. Um, he had a tractor. He had about 60 acres. He had a pond. Um, and uh, he gave me stuff to do. I, I kind of worked for him all summer. Uh, one of my big projects is I built a bridge, right? Think of a 15-year-old building a bridge. Here's how I built a bridge. There was a creek to get to the back pastures. There was a creek, and I felled a huge oak tree. Took my uncle's steel saw, cut that thing down. It fell across the creek, cut another piece, used the winch on the tractor to pull that other piece. I had two pieces of this giant, giant oak tree straddling this pond, and then I put boards all over it. And um, the test for me was, could I take my uncle's tractor over it? Let me tell you a little thing about my uncle Hank. All of his nephews break all of his stuff all of the time. Always. One day he came back and he goes, what'd you break today? And I said, good day. I only broke a shovel. He's like, yes, that's pretty great. I'm not, I'm not kidding. He had a brand new Ford truck and a brand new boat. My other cousin took his truck up a hill, didn't hook the trailer up. So the boat came off the trailer and hit his tractor. Imagine explaining that to your insurance guy. How did your boat and your tractor get in a wreck, right? I mean, but then later, that same truck, yeah, it went swimming. All you could see was the tailpipe in the pond. My other cousin did that. So, you know, he's used to stuff breaking. But I built this bridge, and I took his tractor over it. I was so, so nervous, but it worked. I was so proud of myself. Now... The next thing I did was build a big fire on that back, that back 40 acres. He had a bunch of brush. I was a smart 15-year-old. I took the tractor with a blade, and I put dirt all the way around the fire. But then the wind kicked up, and the fire spread off my uncle's property onto a cranky old man's property. He came out. We're trying to put it out. I'm crying. I I make it back to my uncle's house. I call the fire department. I meet these firemen with a big pumper truck. And we go to the fire. 
and we get to the bridge. And they look at me as if I'm crazy. Like, what do you know about this bridge, son? I'm like, well, I, I built it. <laughs> <laughs> I built it. I, I, and I, I think your truck will make it over that bridge. And they're like, uh, why do you think that? Well, because I take my uncle's tractor over it. It was a you know, full-size tractor. He goes, does your uncle's tractor have 5,000 gallons of water in it? I'm like, no, sir. And they looked, and they did it. And I was so proud. Now, I titled this message Acid Test. If you've heard that term, you've probably heard the term acid test. It's an idiomatic expression, means uh, we're going to test something out to find, is it suitable, will it last, is it strong enough, does it stand up to what it has promised, the acid test. For me, the acid test was that bridge, that truck going over that bridge. For the Christian, really the acid test of can we trust our God? Can we believe what he said? It has to be the resurrection. Right? It has to be the resurrection. If it didn't happen, and the apostles go on to say this, if it didn't happen, then we're actually people that should be pitied because we've placed our hope in something and we've placed our hope in a God that cannot keep his promises. And more importantly, that cannot raise us from the dead. But this morning, as we work our way and we continue our way through the book of Romans, I want you to think of the acid test of suffering. And so it's interesting, the call to worship from Peter, right? He puts it together, right? It, it, be, because we have hope, because we have trusted in God, because we are forgiven, we can rejoice in suffering. And so for the Christian, suffering is our acid test. How will you, how will we respond to suffering. I listen to the world and everything in it. It's my little daily newscast. And uh, they launched a new, um, a, a new podcast. And, and, it, and it lists uh, in, in, a, in a brief, uh, briefly, the top five stories of the day. And someone wrote to them and said, hey, would you mind in those top five stories, just one out of five, will you put in there a story uh, of where God is working? And you know what they meant by that? They meant, we put in a story of really good stuff and happy stuff. That's what they meant. Can you put in something good and happy? Like, you know, like a lot of the, the Christian films that are coming out. You know, it kind of ends with good stuff. Um, I have encouraged one of our friends to watch The Mission with me, if you've ever seen the movie The Mission. Um, and that person said, well, does it end happily? Like, no. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It ends awfully. And that person's like, well, I don't know if I want to watch a movie that kind of ends unhappily. I'm like, but it's true. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, and, and, and so Christians, we're, we're able to handle suffering differently than the rest of the world. And, and that may be our greatest witness to the world. Not the success of winning the NCAA championship, but being the first number one team, as a University of Virginia coach found out, being the first number one team to ever lose to a 16 seed. And so here we are. 
in Romans 5, 3 to 5. I, I, I call this um, the acid test, or in parentheses, justification bundles, because, because it all goes together, and that's why the text is together. Um, and so let me just give you a little bit of context, and then we're going to dive into verses 3 to 5. So the, the context is the apostle saying that something has happened in the past. Uh, Christians have been justified by faith. He, he's saying it is a fact. It's your status. It's your state before God. This has happened. We don't need to question it anymore. It is something that is set in stone. It has happened. And so he says, now because that has happened, this is what we have. And we looked at this last week. He says we have these three blessings uh, in the first two verses. We have peace with God. A Christian is at peace with God. A Christian is not at war with God anymore. God is not his enemy. You are not his enemy. You're his child. He, he belong, you belong to him. You're, you're at peace with God. The second thing he says, we've, we've obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. So the Christian is at peace with God, but, but not, just a, not just a tenuous peace, but they're brought into his good graces. We say that about people, don't we? Do you have so-and-so's good graces? Right? Can you ask so-and-so for a favor? I'm uh, not really in their good graces right now. Right? We, use, we use that term. And so the Christian is standing and is abiding and staying and living in this status of grace. And then he says, lastly, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, our text picks up on that context, right? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, that's an easy thing to rejoice in, isn't it? If you follow the whole argument, I'm at peace with God. I'm brought into his good graces. And when he glorifies himself at the end of all times, it's going to be fantastic. And I have this hope. No matter what I struggle with, and, and, and Scotty went on to talk about those 11 go to their deaths. Instead of running away from death uh, and, and running away from Christ, they run to Christ and to their death. So, but we have that sense here that, that hope in God's glory is wonderful. But here's where it hinges our text for today. Not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Of course we rejoice in the glory of God, but he goes, well, our whole posture to life and experience, happy times, hard times, good things, bad news, our whole posture towards the future gives us reason to rejoice. You might be like me thinking there's just really, there's just no way I can rejoice. <laughs> at suffering right it's 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 the joke about the man getting beaten and says oh thank you sir may i have another right how really mark how can i rejoice in suffering so the sermon in the sentence this morning says because god's love has been poured into our hearts it comes right from the text because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit Christians can rejoice in suffering. It's really the only way a Christian can rejoice in suffering. Uh, the love of God has to be present when we face trials, when we face persecution, when we pray, face suffering. The love of God has to be there. These two verses have to go together. The love of God's been poured into my heart. Therefore, when I suffer, 
I can still worship. I can still rejoice. So this text this morning, I want to ask you three questions from it. Number one is, how do you, how do we respond to suffering? Uh, Second, why should I rejoice in suffering? And then how does hope strengthen us? How do we respond to suffering? Well, let me tell you, it's not isolated. It's not just here in Romans 3. I printed up about half a dozen verses here. Uh, John 16. Uh, I've said these things to you in the world that you may have peace with me. Same thing. You have peace with God. But in the world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus says to his disciples, it's not a surprise. It's not a shock. They're not doing anything wrong. Take heart. I've overcome the world. In Acts 14, uh, uh, Paul was stoned. He was dragged out of the city. They thought he was dead. The disciples went and got him. He rose up and entered the city. And then he was with Barnabas. They preached the gospel. They made many disciples. And he strengthened the souls of the disciples. He encouraged them. All right? There's a guy who's beaten and left for dead. He encourages the disciples to continue in the faith. And he said that there would be tribulations. But through those, we would enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you and those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you. Right? I mean, hashtag blessed. What? Hashtag blessed. They revile me. They persecute me. They utter evil things against me falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says. Be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. For they've persecuted the prophets who were before you. Acts 5, they left the presence of the council and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. 2 Corinthians 4, this is a light and it is a momentary affliction. It is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Philippians 1, it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad that his glory is revealed. Schaefer says, a faith that doesn't help us when we need it the most is not the Christian faith, because God never fails. Here is the acid test of your Christianity How will you respond to suffering? Now, I want to warn you, sometimes Christians think they're being persecuted because they're a Christian, or they think they're being tested because they're Christians. A lot of times Christians are being tested because they're idiots. (laughs) And they claim it, or, you know, they're the the gossip at work, you know? They're the ones that point out everything, and they're the one, you know, and they they say, pray for me, I'm being persecuted for being a Christian. And, And it may be true, but, but, I just want to put it out there. Um, Suffering is persecution. Yeah. Testing. Waiting. Doing without a good thing. Suffering is discipline. Uh, Discipline in a sense to correct belief or behavior. But we do not suffer a penal suffering because Christ has suffered at the hands of the Father for that. Now, it's important to remember that when we suffer as believers, it is not because Jesus has not done enough to secure your salvation. We suffer in a different way. Luke likes to talk about, my son Luke likes to talk about the time when um, 
he got punished uh, by In-N-Out Burgers. I gave the boys a chore. I was off to go do something. I said, I looked at them. They were playing video games. I said, uh, when I get back, if your chores are done, I'm going to get us In-N-Out Burgers. I suggest you stop playing video games right now, get it done first, and then you won't be worried about when I come back. And I come back, and the oldest, you know, the rule keeper of the bunch, right? Chores are done. Luke runs down the hall. <laughs> I see him running down the hall. I'm like, all right, Jordan, let's get in the car. All right, we go, and we get, we get in and out burgers, and we eat them in front of Luke, right? He'll tell you about it if you ask him. It's one of those vivid childhood memories of missing out. Did it mean that he wasn't my son? Did it mean that his sins wouldn't be forgiven? No, it actually meant the opposite. I would have bought any of his friends burgers. But the relationship I had with him, I wanted him to learn. Some in suffering don't complain because we hate complainers. But it really is this good litmus test of our faith. What you actually believe. And I think many times Christians think that God owes us a easy and peaceful life that does not come from the scriptures secondly why should i rejoice in suffering i do love the way that this verse starts not only that uh, max zerwick in his greek grammar talks um, about the instrumental use of the preposition in here uh, not only that, we rejoice in suffering. And, and it means that there, there is something that, that suffering has to do. Suffering has a job to do. Um, we rejoice because there is purpose behind it. A Christian can rejoice in the midst of suffering and hardship. Uh, they can say to themselves, God loves me so much. He is going to use whatever means necessary to sanctify me he is going to make me holy and happy do you realize that the human animal the human soul we will never reach this zenith of happiness without sanctification all right now i know i'm using churchy words there but just just think about this we tend to think that 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 i will have happiness uh, because i'm not going to be tested uh, god's accepted me as i am uh, and that's true, the gospel, he receives you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And, and so we, we just tend to think that, that, that if I'm in God's good graces, things are going to work out, right? You know, last year, on this day, April 9th, I lost my brother. It was a shock. I was looking back at just the, the text messages and the shock. I lost my brother, whom I loved. Two kids, and it, yeah, it was rough. Um, never been so brokenhearted in my life when we buried my brother. But today, I wake up and I look at the calendar, and I'm like, we have hope. I talked to my niece and nephew. Where are you as a result of this? You remember this day. It happens this, week, this year to be Easter Sunday. We suffered together. We didn't suffer without hope. And we rejoice together. 
I know that's hard, Christian, and I've had people tell me here in Grove that a man say, how can I expect God, who, who wants us to love him, how can he expect me to love him if he doesn't remove all my suffering? And I've been gentle for a long time, but I told this man that your knowledge of God and humanity is very, very childlike. We throw a tantrum and refuse to hug our mama when she makes us eat carrots or doesn't get us ice cream when we want it. No, Christian, your knowledge of God and humanity, it is sorely lacking. Understand his workings, his promises, his purposes, his ways. I've talked about a family uh, in Tupelo, the one with the seven girls, and our youth group stays with them on the way to Florida. Um, There's one named Hannah. Her nickname is Bowie. Uh, Bowie is just a little girl when we left Tupelo. Um, And and Bowie... uh, Bowie's being potty trained right before we left. And I was having dinner over there, and I hear down the hallway through the bathroom, Yay, Bowie! And we're all sitting there eating. I'm like, what's going on? Yay, Bowie! And they're like, oh, Hannah's, you know, we're, we're potty training, and we're so happy that she used the toilet. And now she's yelling because we have to come and kind of help her. And I'm like, huh, mental note. Guess what I did next time I visited their house? Uh-huh. Yelled from the bathroom. Yay, Marky! You know what? Nobody celebrated with me. Right? Because, right, it makes sense. We don't, my, my grandson is, is just like this far from learning how to walk. Right? He's on all fours. He's just back and forth, back and forth. He did the worm across the wooden floor the other day. You know, he's, he's, he's almost there. And, and when he crawls, we'll get a ton of videos, right? We'll hear the parents cheering and yelling. Uh, but if he's 15 and he's still crawling, we'll have problems, won't we? I want you to understand that God uses suffering purposefully in the life of his children. He, he, he is not content to have us as babies drinking the milk of the word. He intends to press into us this deeper knowledge of him, his workings, and comfort through suffering. I mean, that's why we see it with the disciples. Singing in the stocks, right? Worshiping God in the prison. God wants much more from us. He sends suffering to do his job. And what does it do? It returns us to Christ. Suffering shows us that we've drifted away. It corrects our perception of the Christian life. And it's really quite simple the way he lays it out here. Suffering produces endurance. A distance runner uh, will only get better by pushing themselves harder, faster, Longer Suffering produces endurance. To be an enduring people of God. To not be tossed back and forth uh, by, by whatever emotions or political landscape or, or whatever. And endurance, the next thing it says, it produces character. At your core, who are you? And then it produces hope. And so we see in this bundle... Uh, this bundle from justification, hope is mentioned twice. We get hope. 
And how does hope strengthen us? Well, verse 5 says, Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A child goes to the beach. child has a uh, little life preserver on. It's one of those cute ones, you know. Looks like a dinosaur or something, right? And, um, and, and they're, eventually they kind of move out and they're floating. And they feel pretty invincible, right? And then comes that rogue wave, right? I remember this happening to my kids, you know. They feel pretty good. They're building sandcastles. They're doing all of this. And then just all of a sudden this wave comes and it tumbles them over. And what do they do? They cry out. And they run back. You know, Christian, that's what suffering is to do to us. It wrestles us free of this sense that we control our life and all things. Wrestles us free from false beliefs about our Savior, our God, and His plan. But what it ultimately is designed to do is send us back to Jesus. And when we go back to Jesus, this verse says that he, our hearts are filled. It's, it's poured into us. The love of God. As long as we are bound to time, you and I are bound to time, we must have hope. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those guys that, that in the midst of something really great, I tend to start mourning that it's going to be over soon. Kids come for three days, day two, I'm like, oh no, they got to go tomorrow. And it robs some of that, some of, just some of that joy. So our God puts in us a hope that will not fade, that time will not remove, that will not run out. So 1978, the group Kansas, probably not big fans of Kansas since we're all in Oklahoma, but uh, the group Kansas had a number six on the Billboard song. Some of you could probably sing it with me. Dust in the wind. Dust in the wind. John, would you like to sing it for us? <laughs> you could. I bet you could. Uh, here's, let, me, let me just give you this song because this is the hope the world has. Right? Let's, listen to the lyrics of this song. I close my eyes only for a moment and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes, a curiosity, dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. What a terrible thought of humanity. Just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on, for nothing lasts forever but the earth and the sky. It slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind, except Christians. We're not dust in the wind. We have a hope that is lasting, that is eternal. And our suffering produces in us endurance. I've seen it in you. I, I, we, we've turned in officer nominations, and every officer that gets nominated has suffered. And I've seen it. I've seen a faith grow 
I have seen a faith be purified. I have seen endurance as we face trials and suffering. And so for a Christian, we have hope. And it is a hope that it says does not put us to shame. I've got to tell you one more thing. Um, this, this putting of shame in there, um, that's the beauty of God's love. I had a long conversation yesterday with a man who had, had, has, had really failed his family, just failed his family. And he's at what we would call that rock bottom. He's doing his best to try and rebuild things. And at the end, he goes, I just don't know if I'll be able to forgive myself. And I, and I said to him, um, what's more important? What's more important than you forgiving yourself? Because that tends to be tied into pride. I've let myself down. I thought I was a better person. What's more important is that you let Christ forgive, wash, and cleanse you. Because shame is a byproduct of not being justified. Carrying around shame with you is saying, I don't believe that Christ did enough. Uh, Christ did this much, but, but I need to do this much more. And the beautiful thing here, he says, is, as his love is poured out, we have a hope, and that hope is without shame. We can rejoice in suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that we enjoy it, right? It doesn't mean that we like it. It means that we have grasped that it has purpose. We've grasped that it is not beyond the scope of our God. I put in your notes these two prayers. I'm just going to share these with you before we go to the Lord's table. Um, in uh, 2009, I was planning a church in California, and it's really, really difficult. I had come from a place where I was overpaid and overappreciated. And I'd gone to a place where nobody cared that I was there, and I had to justify my existence, and I had to beg people who I loved for money to support this work that we were going to do. And um, we had lost a key family. I think I probably told some of you that story before. We had a picture of our launch team, and I told Tammy, we'll be okay as long as that family doesn't leave. The next day I got a call, that family was leaving. And it was as if I had just tested God, like, we can do this, God, with you and this family, we can do this. And, um, and I was so discouraged, and so I called my mentor, old southern pastor in Virginia, and I was just bewailing my state. And he prayed for me, and I remember, I wrote it down, the end of his prayer said this, God, Abba, Father, please have your Holy Spirit show Mark how much you love him in the sending of this trial. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has many sermons on just this text. And one of them, he says, this is the prayer, Christian. May this be your response when Satan says to you, where is your God? Where is the love of God? May we respond, get behind me, Satan. This is God's method of perfecting me and bringing me to glory. I need it. There are angles and corners on me that need to be sanded off. There's still so much impurity in me. I've not responded to his gospel as I ought, and he is doing this for my good. My earthly parents chastened me and punished me to satisfy themselves because they loved me. How much more does the Father of spirits do this for those who belong to him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that there is no circumstance in our life 
that we can point to and say, this proves God will not keep his promises. And for the Christian, there is no circumstance ever in our lives where we are able to point at it and say, this is where God failed me. This is where God let me down. For you have not promised an easy path. In fact, you told your followers in full disclosure, if anyone would come after me, take up your cross. And Father, I, I still fear that for many of us, that the thought of being able to rejoice when we suffer, it, it, it just seems almost impossible. Oh, Holy Spirit, will you work in us the power of the justification we have with Christ? Will you, Holy Spirit, remind us the whole truth that, that you have written history out with your finger? and that everything has purpose. And if we would just grasp an, uh, a bit of that purpose, oh, Father, we, we, would, we would be able to say, bring it on. I'll be tested and stretched in whatever manner, for I know that my ultimate joy and satisfaction is being made more like the Son of God. Father, we thank you that your gospel doesn't say once we learn how to rejoice in sufferings, you will receive us. But it says that when we re repent of our sins, you receive us. That the way we respond to our suffering is not some meritorious work that will get us a better place in heaven, but because we have a place by your side, we can face whatever unpleasantness is before us. And know that it is purposeful. Will you make us a people of character and of endurance and of hope? And now, Father, will you set these elements aside for holy use? May we partake of the body. May we drink of the cup. May we celebrate, Father, Christ's death and today his resurrection. That the old life was nailed to the cross. Our old self, our old account was nailed to the cross. And those in Christ share in his resurrected body a life full of hope. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.